It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is John Temple, president and CEO of Guideposts, a national nonprofit organization that promotes hope, faith, and prayer in people's lives. Prior to Guidepost, John served as the founder and chief of the Human Trafficking Response Unit at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in New York City. John worked to form the unit in recognition of the devastating impact that human trafficking has had on its victims and their families. John has lectured both within the U.S. and internationally on human trafficking for foreign delegations, members of law enforcement, the legal community, nonprofits, and other governmental agencies. He has been recognized for his anti-trafficking work as one of New York City's new abolitionists and is the recipient of the Thomas E. Dewey Medal for Outstanding Prosecutors. From 2012 to 16, John taught courses on human trafficking and constitutional law at Fordham University, and he graduated from the University of Rochester in 1998 and from Brooklyn Law School in 2003. John Temple, welcome into the corner office. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Wonderful to connect with you again today. We're recording this in a, in a very hot northeastern uh, midsummer day in June, but uh, it hasn't always been this way. I know you're you're not too far by. Uh, I'm glad we've gotten beyond Memorial Day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't remember a Memorial Day like that in it was a very horrible. very long time. Yeah, it was horrible. Forties oh, and rain. That was not yeah, a good uh, crazy. beach day. Yeah. Well, you know, this will be people will be listening to this. I think sometime in August and September. So hope everyone is out there having a wonderful summer. But sure. uh, we're finally into it now. Well, John, you've had an amazing career. And, and as we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you know, to going from uh, a professorship to being a district attorney and then on to guideposts has been a real interesting journey. And I'm so, so excited about uh, kind of following that with you and understanding how you, you know, kind of made those various transitions. But we always kind of like to start with the early days. You know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a small town of uh, Carmel, New York, which is about uh, 50, 60 miles north of New York City. So uh, back in, in uh, the 80s, just far enough to be uh, communicable, uh, right. you know, to people who would you know, kind of a bedroom community, but sure. uh, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, just a, a nice small town to grow up in. And so yeah. uh, I grew yeah. up there with my uh, my parents and right. uh, two sisters. And two sisters. Uh, where were you in the lineup? Are you older, younger, in the middle? 
Yeah, I'm the youngest, actually. Youngest, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah my well, sister thinks there's a lot to birth order. As the oldest, she feels <laughs> very connected to her uh, eldest uh, status and and thinks that I'm very much a youngest. So I, I leave that I, to you. I to... identify with that. I have two older brothers, so I know exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what did mom and dad do? Uh, so my mom uh, is a school teacher by trade, oh, cool. um, and uh, both she and my my dad studied at the University of Illinois. Okay. Um, and uh, did they grow up in the Midwest? Is that they did. They yeah, both yeah. grew up in in Southern Illinois. And uh, my mom uh, got her um, teaching certificate in, in music education. Oh, cool. right. um, and then my dad um, graduated University of Illinois, and and ultimately okay. went to uh, McCormick Seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and became a uh, Presbyterian pastor. Right. Um, and then so uh, came out Northeast basically by, uh, took a church uh, in Peekskill, New York, okay. uh, which brought the, brought the family here. And then they yeah. started having us. So, so Christian household growing up, was that something that was an important part of uh, your upbringing Sunday school on, on Sundays? I grew up in the Presbyterian church as well. So, oh, so okay. I kind of know the routine. Was that, was that uh, present at the time or did that come later in your life? Oh, very, very much so. Yeah. Um, we we have a, a small um, Presbyterian church, um, but a very close knit one. And and nice. my mom, uh, even still today, is is the music director and was very involved in um, Sunday school and and uh, you know as a kid, yeah. uh, actually some uh, a good friend of mine and I actually taught Sunday school, you know, in nice. high school and uh, cool. you know just so it's always been sort of part of the fabric of of our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, my father's, uh, at some point decided that, uh, he, he really uh, ministry and, and being in the church wasn't where his calling really was. Yeah. And, uh, he ultimately wound up, uh, becoming, uh, going to Reader's Digest for, right. for a period. And then ultimately went to, to Guideposts, guidepost, um, yeah. which yeah. is ultimately well, where, where my connection very uh, started. Succession. So, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in a moment, <laughs> but we're going to cut some of the early years. So sure. w- when did you come to accept Jesus Christ as your savior? You know, it's one of these things where, where Jesus has always been part of my life. Yeah. And, and yeah. I know, you know, I, I, I don't, I kind of wish I had that moment in some ways, you know, where right. people ask right. that question, when, when do you, you feel like you commit, but it was always, it was always just part of the fabric of our lives. And, sure. and, um, you know, I think my family, our faith, um, and my parents' faith and my sister's faith, um, really came out in their acts and, and how we, um, interacted, how, how they lived their lives, yeah. um, the integrity they lived their life. That's where I saw their faith. And, and that's yeah, where yeah. I learned mind. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I have a little different story in that way, but, um, but it's always been been a part of me. Awesome. Mom and dad still with us? They are. They are. Yeah. They're doing well and, and cool. uh, did well during the pandemic. And yeah, uh, yeah no, it was, it was really, um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're still doing well. So we're, we're thankful for that. When you think back to some of those early years and, you know, lessons from mom and dad, good or bad, um, what are the, some of the things that you remember about, you know, their, their work and, you know, how they lived their life and, 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 and presented their faith? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things for, for us as a family, um, my middle sister, uh, Jenny, um, was born with cerebral palsy. Mm. And so that left her um, where she was not able to um, care for herself at all. She wasn't able to speak yeah. or walk. Mm. Um, and so, you know, as a, as a family, um, 
I, I really witnessed um, Christ's love and God's love mm. in their actions. Yeah. Um, you know, at a, at a time in the '70s where if you had a child who was born mm. with that severe of disability. Um, you know, my parents were told you got to put the, you got to put, put her into an institution. That's right. And, yes, you know, yes. they said, no, we're not going to do that. Good and wow. wound up, um, you know, showing that love and care. And, and she passed a uh, few years ago. She did. Um, well, did but she need care her whole life? Her whole life. Yeah. 46 yeah. years. My parents yeah. cared for her. Wow. And, um, what you know, when you, devotion that is. Huh? Yeah. 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 And, and wow. when you see that and, and, you know, it, it also just makes, um, you know, anything that you're going through at the moment and, you know, sure. as teenagers and you think, ah, yeah. oh, geez, the world's coming to an end when, when this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen. And, <laughs> and you look at, at her and, and she was so special because, mm. um, she was one of the most joyful people I've ever oh. met. Oh. And she couldn't communicate with words, but she communicated with her smile, with her eyes. Yeah. And, yeah. and ultimately, um, you know, you just, if she could find the joy in life and she, and she did, and she brought it to everybody else. Um, she really taught all of us a, a lesson and, and my kids who, who got to know her, yeah, I think yeah. we're all more caring and compassionate people oh, because wow. of the joy she helped us see. What a lesson to try to be like Jesus with others. Huh? Fantastic. Absolutely. I love it, John. That's wonderful. What about school? Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to university of Rochester and Brooklyn law a little mm -hmm. bit later, but, uh, how are you in elementary and middle school? Did you, did you take to it? Was it something that you enjoyed to do? Yeah. You know, I was, I was blessed with really great teachers, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, and all throughout, um, you know, had teachers who, who were inspiring and, and helpful. I, I was not the best, um, you know, ironically where I am today, uh, I was not the best reader. And so, okay. in, you know, in third grade, I had, I had some great reading teachers who, you know, helped show that, that, you know, what, even though I struggled in it, I could do it. Um, and, uh, you know, just, it really had a great, uh, education and, yeah. and was was given a lot of of latitude to just do a lot of things to mm. to play sports to do music to be involved in and in even theater and and yeah. um you know i was i was sort of the quintessential jack of all trades and master of none uh <laughs> i wasn't a outstanding a athlete by any yeah. means but i yeah. was good enough to play all i right. wasn't outstanding in music but i was good enough to play and and uh and and I loved it. I, I just, it, it, I think it fostered a curiosity, which, uh, which I continue to have. Awesome. Any special teacher or, or a memory or a lesson that you learned from one of those teachers back then? You know, one of, one of my, I mean, many, but to pick out one, yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Shivoni in, in the fourth grade. <laughs> it's actually, amazing how we remember those names, isn't it? I do. I remember <laughs> you were seven, eight years old, you know, sure. yeah, amazing. Mr. Shivoni. What did he, what did he teach you? Well, and it just, it shows you the blessing that teachers can be. Yeah. That's um, so and important. you know, he, he, um, he ran his classroom, um, you know, going back to my sister and joy and finding joy in life. He ran his classroom with joy and yeah. he loved his students. He loved the kids, wow. um, and he loved teaching. And, and, you know, so as an example, um, when, if you're late from coming back in from the playground, um, he wouldn't <laughs> punish you. He actually set up a whole tribunal in the, 
in the uh, in the classroom. So you came in <laughs> and you got a lawyer and it was, you know, the kid sitting next to you and you got a prosecutor who was the other kid. Uh, somebody to defend you. And, somebody to oh defend you. And then I, I was it. I was the judge, you know, at, at times. And I remember, you know, making decisions about, OK, well, you were five minutes late. So. Um, and I know Five the excuse, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite that, uh, draconian, but it was, oh, you got to wait five minutes to go out the next time. Ah, and, right, uh, right. You know, but, but just taught valuable life lessons. About that. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Well, interestingly, you went on to a career in law and, and as I said, we'll get to that in a minute, but university of Rochester, great school. Mm-hmm. You decided to study philosophy and history. What, what, what kind of led you there to that university in that field of study? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I just, I really sort of picked what I liked and I looked at class study and I looked at the things that I wanted to do and where I was most interested and said, wow, what, what coursework would be the most interesting? And it turned out that's, that led to the major. It was really that, uh, that kind of simple. Yeah. It's just whatever I was interested in. Yeah. And you lived on campus, I presume. And did your, did your four years there, did you work uh, as well? Was it, you know, kind of part of your uh, design with mom and dad that you had to support yourself going through college or were you on a scholarship? Tell us a little bit about how you, how you paid for it. Sure. Well, I, I was again, very blessed that my parents were able to, um, to afford to, to, to help me through. Um, but I wound up, uh, working throughout. So there's yeah. medical department there. So I, I did everything from, I worked in the department of ophthalmology, stuffing envelopes and, and doing that kind of thing. Um, I uh, lifeguarded at the the YMCA there <laughs> right, and taught right. swim lessons, uh, you know, really whatever could, uh, wherever I could pick up work uh, throughout, I, I, I did. And uh, certainly did that over summers, painted houses and, yeah, yeah. um, you know, did internships and things like that. So was swimming one of the sports that you enjoyed growing up as a kid and, and excelled at? Uh, so no, actually, I just, I always loved swimming and, yeah. and, um, got actually, your lifeguard certification. At some I did. Point. And it, it was actually more the, um, ultimately it was the, uh, the teaching of swimming that I liked. Mm, uh, I liked yeah. the teaching aspect of yeah. it. And so became a, um, you know, certified, uh, water safety instructor. And then, uh, you know, in college wound up doing some work where I actually worked then at uh, some programs uh, for people with disabilities and taught right. swim lessons over and, and, you know, and there were, le- there were legal reasons why you had to have those, uh, those certifications, but that's what yeah. I really enjoyed about it. Yeah. Awesome. And um, uh, first job out of college, I, I think there was a little bit of a gap before you uh, went to Brooklyn Law School. Did you, did you work for a year or two before you went uh, to law school? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did two years out. Um, my first year, uh, I worked at a, a big New York law firm mm. as a paralegal. Um, out of out of undergrad. Out of undergrad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got uh, so, 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 so let's take a step back. What 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 kind of interest did you in law, or was it just took the job and then got the interest later? Uh, yeah, it was sort of. Again, I kind of just kept following what was fun to me, yeah. uh, oh. and I I enjoyed. Um, you know, in philosophy, I enjoyed logic. I enjoyed the argumentation part of it. I like the right. the way that you put together a, a cohesive argument um, driven by reason. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that really felt like, um, you know, law school and, and law yeah. ultimately was something I'd be interested in, yeah. uh, which is which is what led me to that role. Right. Right. So you did that for a couple of years and then and then decided to go to law school. 
Well, I actually did that for one year okay. um, and sort of quickly realized that uh, law firm life is not for me. Okay. Um, it's a uh, it's it's a brutal world in a, in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember one one night where we had been doing I don't know I think we were we were there for you know seventy two hours and hadn't slept much mm. um, and I wound up falling down the stairs because <laughs> I was so tired I just <laughs> lost it and went right down the stairs and oh uh, I was like I got to do something else and so uh, <laughs> that was choice. my wake up moment uh, and so but I what I wound up doing was was I really wanted to learn another language yeah. um, and so I was able to. Um, sort of find an internship uh, with an investment bank in Germany, in Frankfurt. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, so I went there for a year and it was during the dot-com awesome. bubble. Yeah. Uh, so late, we late were- Late 99. Yeah. Very yeah. 99. Yeah. And so we, awesome. we were trying to place online IPO shares there. And, and huh. so I, I learned to speak German there. I learned wow. to, to be more self-sufficient. And there was, a, yeah. there was a lot of good lessons that came out of that. That's cool. So had you had any German language training before going over to Frankfurt? I knew I was going to do it about six months before. So that's when wow. I started. Um, oh, but outside of that, yeah. I was very, uh, very new. Yeah, cool. So despite the law firm experience, you still decided to go to law school. Tell us about that. Yeah, I and I kind of looked at law as, as the opportunity to serve um, yeah. and huh. thought about it. In a, and, you know, it's it's the law can be used for for good and bad. Um, and yeah. like anything. Like, like anything. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Right, right, and, right. and, uh, and, and so I wanted to be one of the good ones and, yeah. and wanted to be somebody who, um, try to use that skill for, to, to help others, uh, which yeah. eventually led me to, um, the Manhattan district attorney's office. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, out of law school, a couple of years there, uh, what was that first job? Did you go back to a law firm right away? I know that you ended up at Fordham for a few years of teaching, but I think there was a little bit of time in between, no? Uh, so I, when I graduated, my first job out of law school was at the DA's office. Oh, it wasn't the DA's office. Um, cool. And then uh, I became an took adjunct. Prof- yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. no, I didn't take a or break. Or did at the same time. Got yeah, it. I did at the same Got time. So I, I taught um, a couple Got classes uh, as an adjunct at Fordham yeah. for yeah. Uh, for several years. Yeah, fantastic. So what attracted you to the uh, district attorney office? You, you spent the better part of 13, 14 years there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really liked uh, the notion of being able to do good in a particular case. And, and, um, and I, I think what was great about, about that office, um, is, is that, you know, the, the, the mantra is, uh, you do, do the right thing, no matter what that means. Um, right. and that means that you do right by victims. It means you do right yeah. by defendants and, and yeah. defending their rights. Um, and you, you have some really thorny moral, ethical, legal issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you, but I really believe that the people who were there were trying to do the absolute best yeah. and very often very challenging situations. Um, yeah. so I, well, I, I really loved it. You know, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, you ended up working in the sex crimes unit. You did some homicide work and ended up becoming chief of the human trafficking responses unit. Tell us a little bit about what was that? Was that kind of something you were assigned when you first came in or you expressed an interest and then kind of took that on because you spent most of your career there doing that, correct? Yeah, no, that's that's right. And um, so I guess the so I wasn't assigned. Um 
Mm. New York State actually didn't have an anti-trafficking law until 2007. Oh, um, wow. So I started at the DA's office in, in 2003. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... It was just, you know, it, at that time, even though it seems so anachronistic now, we didn't even have the language. I wouldn't, if you've asked yeah. me in 2004 or five, what's human trafficking? I couldn't have defined it for yeah. you. Yeah. And so, but what we, what we did see and what I saw was um, that there was just some things that were wrong. Um, mm. There were people who were being exploited, um, who were being both you know, sexually trafficked and labor trafficked. Uh, and the system itself was treating them in, in many respects like criminals um, and wasn't recognizing the vulnerability and, and what led them to that place. And and yeah. so um, I actually had a lot of good mentors, a number of, of uh, non-governmental organizations, NGOs and nonprofits who, right. who helped to, you know, really educate me to say, Hey, this is coming to you and somebody's being arrested for prostitution, mm. but here's what's going on on the back end. Here's mm. the, here's, you know, where this person um, started yeah. and, and was yeah. kicked out of their home at 12 yeah. and had yeah. been first prostituted at, at 13. Mm. And, and you, you hear that and okay, you may be dealing with a child now, or you may be dealing with a full grown adult, but right. the, the background was all the same and it just yeah. changed the empathy. Wow. Um, and wow. I wanted to learn more and wanted to do more. And so we, yeah. we worked with a group of people, um, a very good group of people who, who kind of felt similarly. Um, and ultimately, uh, a number of years later, after working these cases and, and understanding and getting better education on them, able to ultimately form a, a, a unit um, mm. where I was uh, then appointed the, the head to lead. Oh, so that was actually uh, formed under kind of your your leadership there. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah so uh, I, I did, and obviously with with the support of of yeah. uh, my boss and, and others, yeah. but uh, I was ultimately uh, the you know founded it and and was able to to lead it with a very good group of people. Is there progress being made in that area? Uh, you know, I know you still hear so much about it, and it's just so sad because, as you said, the backstories right mm -hmm. are, are so tragic. I heard a statistic the other day that um, I think it's something like uh, tens of thousands of kids every year at the age of 18 uh, get released from, you know, the foster care program, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, they're adults now. And oh, I think it's something like 50 or 60% end up incarcerated, you know, and many of that, the women in particular, you know, it happens because of they go into prostitution, et cetera. Um, you know, what, what's being done or what progress is being made? You, do you, are you hopeful in that area? Have you seen progress, you know, since yeah. that time that you first got involved in? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm actually very hopeful. And, and the mm -hmm. fact that, um, you're able to to talk about those statistics and had heard of them yeah. is actually an incredible amount of progress. Because again, yeah. it, it, 15 years ago, if you had asked me that question, I would have I would have had yeah. no answer. I had yeah. no idea how big the problem right. was. So the education, yeah. you know, has really been um, uh, pretty outstanding. And and so I think that's a big part of it is is just an awareness that didn't exist 15 yeah. years ago. And right. you know, it's often compared to the domestic violence um, movement. Um, yeah. And so you know, years ago 
police response to a domestic violence was, okay, buddy, I'm going to take you and walk you around the block and then put you back in the house. And that's, and that's how they did it. You know, and yeah, that was the common right. accepted wisdom. And, <laughs> and, and they're back the next day or the next week. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah no. And, yeah. And, and so we didn't, you know, we just didn't think of it in the right way. So we're, yeah. I think the education piece of this has just been so, has, has really been important. Developing um, the empathy of others. Yeah. There yeah. is. And, and there's yeah. an empathy and, 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 you know, if you even look at the language, right? The language of, right. okay, this person's a, a hooker or this person's yeah. a prostitute. I've right. heard people say child prostitute. Yeah. And if you think about, and you don't hear that as much anymore, but if you right. think about what that means, you're calling a 14-year-old a child yeah. prostitute Jeez. because there was an exchange of money. But if that person was, um, you'd call it rape if there was no exchange for money. <laughs> Right. And so what we're right. really talking about is the serial rape of children, yes. yeah. but there's nothing magic about the exchange of money. And and so yeah. I, I think that yeah. that's really, that education has, has, yeah. is, is real progress. There's yeah. a lot more to do, but ultimately it's vulnerability and, and right. trafficking is the commoditization of vulnerability. So yeah. when somebody, yeah. you know, the foster care was a great example because, you know, they, it's, it's, traffickers are not necessarily preying on the people who have everything and, and right. have a lot of options. They're preying on people who, have uh, who have none, who have none. <laughs> and and that yeah. this looks or, like a or good Or that option. being the only option. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Well, how did you bring God in? You know, uh, you, you've walked a faithful life, you know, you were brought up in a Christian home, Sunday school, Presbyterian Sunday school. We mm -hmm. probably read some of the same books growing sure. up, but you know, what a tough area in which, um, to, to really, you know, or, or maybe not. So, you know, talk, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how, how, how you brought God into that job. Yeah. I actually think it's, it was easy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, we are all deserving of God's grace mm, yeah, as yeah. children of God. Yeah. And when you look at, and you're, and you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, if, if you can start with that, um, then, then I think everything else falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, did you have opportunities to talk about your faith as you would interact with a, a variety of different people? I mean, I'm sure at, you know, at, particularly when you became chief of the department in the last three years you were there, uh, you were talking to defenders, right? You were talking to people that were probably impacted directly by it. People that have been incarcerated, law enforcement, you know, what did that look like? You know, how did you, uh, you know, beyond living it yourself, right? Which I know you would, um, how did you bring God in? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, you know, obviously it's a, a, it's a secular, you know, governmental yeah, office. Right. And, and so you have to be not having uh, prayer meetings in the district attorney. Yeah, office. no, a little different than a guidepost, <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, so you, you obviously have to be very mindful and, right, and considerate right. of, of other people's faith. But but I do think it organically pops up, um, again, as in, in various ways where people were, um, were working through their own challenges. And, you know, a number of them, a number of, of the survivors that we were working with were also working with faith-based organizations. Right, um, right. And so, and again, those organizations are not, proselytizing um but they would where where someone showed an interest um help strengthen their faith and and so i think right. i saw that a lot um and i think that you know just naturally happening yeah. because again yeah. if you go back to to the vulnerability of traffickers a lot of that is around 
you know, no one ever telling the person that they were loved. And, and when you then <sighs> say, look, you're not only loved, um, but you're loved by your creator and you're loved, um, you have inherent worth, you have inherent value, no matter what anybody else tells you. Um, and that comes externally from, from, you know, not from me, not from anybody That's else, right. but from a much higher power. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that really, you know, resonated. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, 14 years there, and then the big shift to become CEO of Guidepost. So two questions, first of all, for our audience who may or may not know what Guidepost is, give us a little bit of an overview of, of how the organization got started. It's got such an amazing history. You'd mentioned earlier that your dad was obviously CEO of it. You now became CEO. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about the organization that I'd love to hear how you made that shift. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Guideposts uh, is a uh, 75 or now 76 year old wow. uh, spiritual well being organization. So yeah. we we harvest uh, and, and try to uh, utilize the power of, of hope and faith and prayer mm. um, to drive spiritual well being outcomes for people and ultimately make the world a more hopeful place. Right. And um, so we were founded uh, in the 40s by Norman Vincent Peale, who was yeah. the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, as Cop well as other thinking, yeah, um, right. as well as other many other books. And and um, you know he basically founded it after World War II um, because, like today, found that um, you know soldiers coming back and and as the world was getting back to you know, normalcy after World War II, um, they were seeing church membership go down. And so he wanted to to basically um, use multimedia as it stood in the day uh, to to reach people where they were. And so he would go out on the, he was uh, the pastor of Marble Collegiate uh, Church in, in Manhattan. Mm. Um, and so he'd go out into the streets and just say, hey, tell me your story and, and you know, invite them into, uh, into the church life. And, and this was before he, he was famous, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, as he was, yeah, yeah, building up his ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and go, go ahead, I'm sorry, yeah. I was just going to say he 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 sort of took that same thought process and said the best way to reach people is through storytelling mm. is through being able to recount the stories of people who have overcome through their faith who have seen themselves as children of God and ultimately mm. understand that they they weren't destined, um, we're all destined for greatness. And, and that takes many different forms. But, you know, the, the, the old expression, God don't make no junk. And, and that's why you should be, <laughs> you know, that's why you should be, be confident. And that's why you shouldn't worry because God's got this. Um, and so he went out and said, I'm going to use every channel I can to spread that mm. message. And so he had a radio program. He you know, obviously spoke from the pulpit. He did events. He had a, wow. um, uh, uh, you know, and then ultimately formed guideposts yeah. uh, because he wanted to be able to get stories of, of sort of everyday people out there so that mm. they would be able to, to find inspiration in them. 
Fantastic. Well, kind of the uh, a previous day podcast, huh? but yeah. in a different medium. <laughs> Absolutely, he'd be doing so, what so, you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> what we're doing? What we're yeah. doing? So, 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 Dad went to work for for Norman Vincent Peale, right? He must have known him, worked in his he organization, did. and then he did. did he become CEO after uh, Mr. Peale moved on, or how did that transition take place? And then yours? Sure. So. Um, yeah, so it was it was actually um, run by uh, Dr. Beale and his wife, um, Dr. Beale. Mrs. Beale uh, mm. was really she was the chair of the board for a long time, and 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 all respects was really the business mind of of how to how to make things operate. I mean, mm. she was incredibly yeah. um, smart and savvy, and and understood. Um, process and operations and business. And, and so, um, she actually ran the organization for, for a long time, uh, okay. you know, with Dr. Peel, um, and my father worked there and, and he was actually the first ever CEO of, of Guy Posts. Um, so as the, as the Peel stepped back, um, he wound up becoming uh, their first CEO and she stayed on as chair of the board for many years after. Wow. So kind of, uh, uh, Dr. Peel was the outside. She was the inside. Yeah. Huh? He was very the face of the so. organization and she ran it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very effective combination. I worked for Walt Disney for a number of years and people don't remember that Walt had a brother who really ran the whole operations and Walt mm -hmm. was kind of the front man, but uh, he was behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, very interesting success story. Wonderful. So, okay, so second question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got a couple. 14 years, New York County District Attorney's, you, you form a, you know, the human trafficking response unit. You're obviously making good progress. You're teaching people how to talk and act about about this and and then all of a sudden you make this big shift tell us what was going on in your mind how did how did that come about and and uh you know that that transition because because you didn't take over directly from dad right was there someone else that was a ceo prior to you joining in uh yeah there was um my father actually retired uh once uh there was an interim <laughs> ceo uh that uh that came in and and uh was there for about five or six years um, and then my father came out of retirement, uh, for a couple of years. And as they were doing the new CEO search, um, that's when sort of, I came up as a, as a potential candidate. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, tell us about kind of the thought process behind leaving behind, you know, a, an incredible legacy and, and the work that you've done with a district attorney's office to, to making this, this shift. What, what, what kind of went through the thought process with that? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, my first thought process was, "This seems like a crazy idea." <laughs> <You know? laughs> why? Why? I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a district attorney. I'm, I'm the chief of a unit. I'm doing yeah. these things, and and you know, and I, I, when I told people what I was thinking about doing, they said, "What? What are you doing?" And and yeah. you know, this is where mentorship really, really yeah. came in in a big yeah. way. Um, you know, what a lot of the work I had done at the DA's office was around digital transformation. Right. Uh, it right. was, we victims of trafficking do not necessarily raise their hand and say, Hey, I'm a victim of trafficking. Right. And so, sure. um, and also because of their vulnerability, uh, it's very challenging to have them testify. So we had to figure out other ways to do it. And a lot of that was through data analysis and partnerships, um, bringing in, um, uh, data analytic professionals bringing in coders who could help us um, analyze and, and figure out um, how we could uncover trafficking operations. Um, and, and so a lot of it really was around digital transformation. And so, um, you know, ultimately that's where, you know, sort of my mm. father as a mentor said, 
you know, you have some skill sets here that yeah, that we need as an organization. Need. We're an wow. organization in transition. We've we've done publishing as a channel, yeah. but we really need to go through a digital transformation to bring mm. this hopeful, inspiring message to a wider array in the digital age. And yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I wound up, um, you know, and, and to be be quite direct. I think a lot, you know, a number of people said, is this a really a good idea? You know, board members and others, and we all kind of said it. And and we I went out to visit with with a board member um who's the the CEO of a of a big public company, has been the CEO of of many others and um you know has done a lot of leadership development and mentorship. And I went into his office and uh he just he started the conversation by saying, So what do you think? And I said, well <laughs> If I'm being honest, I think you're all crazy for talking to me. <laughs> and so I, I spent the next hour, you know, basically telling him, um, okay, here's what I, here's what I can't do. Here's, yeah. here's, here's where I'm not an expert. Right. Um, and, but here's what I've done. And here's, here's where I think this, you know, yeah. where this makes sense. And I, I fully thought I had talked myself out of the job because I, I, <laughs> you know. I had no I, idea how receptive they would be to that idea. No. And, and yeah. I, I, but I also thought, you know, I, I want people to be clear about, about who I am, what I stand for, yeah. where I, where I fit. And cause I, I, cause I deeply care about the organization irrespective of whether, what position I was in. And, sure, and so, sure. you know, I'd grown up in it in many respects. And so I didn't want to do anything that, that wouldn't be in the best interest of the organization. And yeah, so, yeah. um, you know, I, I stood up or shaking his hand. I said, you know, thanks, thanks very much. And, and he basically said, no, you'll be, you'll be great. Sit back down. Let's keep talking. <laughs> and so, and so we did. And, and, um, yeah. you know, and, and then as I met other board members and yeah, we talked sure. in the same way, um, I think we all came around and, um, but I, I, I will say that, you know, the day after I, um, you know, left, uh, the DA's office, I had this moment of what have I done? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> a big and, inhale, right? Yeah, a big uh, inhale. And, and you know, this is where you, you talk about, um, you know, where God places the encouragement you need at the right time. I, I wound up um, talking to my good friend, Ralph, who, who I've known, you know, since I was a kid and said, Ralph, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I was an expert <laughs> in this field. I was doing this. And, and you know, the next day, uh, you know, overnight came this copy of the power of positive thinking and it was all tattered and beaten up and, and he you had hadn't bought, read it before. I No, I had read it before, yeah, but, yeah. um, this, this was his copy that he had know, purchased right. in college that was all beaten up and wow. tattered and worn. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, put a little note in it that said, <laughs> you got this. You, you have this. everything you need. <laughs> and and I read it again. And the next day I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's and do it. and uh, it was the right place, right time. And and definitely, a, a, you know, God intervention. And you talked about mentorship and, you know, how important that is and how, you know, you never know where they're going to come from. It could be a dad. It could be a good friend. But what what have you and God been talking about recently? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably tired of me. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Yeah, we... Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot, um, you know, particularly with the pandemic and, and yeah. you know, making sure that that our colleagues are safe, making sure our families are safe, um, making sure that, um, you know, we're doing right. Uh, and, and as we're making big decisions about about 
the future of the organization, about future of our, our family and, and, you know, just all the myriad of things that come with it. I have three young daughters, um, twins who are 13 and 11 year old. And, and, uh, you know, how do I, I, I ask frequently, uh, how do I be a better leader? How do I be a better father? How do I be a better husband? How do I be a better son? How do I be a better brother? How do I be a better friend? And, um, and a better CEO and a better CEO. Yeah, <laughs> no. And, that, and that's a big one. Um, yeah, but sure. it, it's, it's, you know, I think what the pandemic has taught us in, in a lot of respects is we're only whole when all of those things are in alignment. Right. Um, and, right. and so, uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's my conversations. How many employees today at Guideposts? Uh, we have about 120 full-time yeah. and then there's Jeez. another 30 or so that, um, you know, sort of, of working with us on a regular basis. Everybody in Connecticut or are they multiple locations across the country or the world? Uh, actually getting broader in terms yeah. of where we're, where we're reaching now. Um, right. we're in mostly we have about, uh, 70 or so people in Connecticut, another 35, 40 yeah. in New York, um, in, uh, the financial district and, uh, and an increasing number around the country. Um, yeah, you know, fantastic. as, as we've been able to do it a little bit more, uh, remote, it's really opened up where we can recruit from. And how many people do you touch with your messaging? So we reach about 7 million, um, through our, we have books, magazines, yeah. web presence, uh, social handles. So we, we reach a, a, a fair number of people. Is it mostly believers or is it also, you know, do you, do you purposely try to reach non-believers? Yeah. I mean, our, our message and, and actually the way Peel started this was, you know, we're, we're a Christian organization that wants to make the gospel and wants to make um, faith as accessible for people as it can be. Yeah. And so we are not political. Uh, yeah. we are not doctrinal or, or, and we don't preach any particular creed. Um, and we're non-judgmental. So we, we basically yeah. say, come as you are. And now that's yeah. kind of what a guidepost is, right? right. If you're, sure. you're walking along the road and, and you want to know, okay, I can take two paths. I can go down a path that is, is hopeful and positive and, and uplifting. Um, or I can choose to be you know, negative and, 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 um, you know, just, just really not having the joy and gratitude that, that you mm. should, um, a guidepost doesn't, you know, kind of judge you from going, going down that path. It just right. stands there yeah. and says, okay, when you're ready to come back, <laughs> we're here. There's two arrows, right? You know, arrows. Or, or, or maybe more, more, maybe more than that. Right. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I love it. Well, John, we're just about out of time, but we always ask one last question to all our guests. And you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone that, you know, perhaps like you it has had a couple of different decision making, you know, uh, points or guideposts, perhaps mm -hmm. along the career to use the term, uh, you know, you discovered early on that you didn't really want to go into working in a law firm, but you went and got your law degree anyway. You, you built an incredible and very important organization within the district attorney's office and now doing some something, you know, entirely different. What would you tell someone that maybe is, you know, 10, 15 years younger than you that might be encountering one of those, uh, one of those forks in the road and, uh, you know, to make the decision, how to go about making those decisions about what to do next? Yeah. I, I, I usually say, or kind of say two points. One is, is follow your curiosity. Yeah. Um, so being a listener, being able to, to just have a natural curiosity about things that that you don't even think are important to you, yeah. um, 
if you just have that and follow it, it will it will actually take you places. And mm. and I think if you couple that with the knowledge that there are no bad decisions, right? We we think we have all the control in this. We think we, you know, our decisions that we and, and people weigh decisions, you know, and say, here are all the pros and cons. And 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 <laughs> right. you need to do that. I mean, you, yeah, you really do, yeah. but uh, you know, if you, if you if you don't make those decisions, you never know. And so the I, I, one of the things I see a lot of people do, particularly earlier in their careers, is just worry them to death and just yeah. just know God's in charge. Pray <laughs> about it, think about it. Yeah. But whatever decision you make, that's where you're meant to go. And and you may have to correct it. You may have to do something yeah. later. But that's okay. And and just give people the permission to to really. Um, not worry that they're down a path that they can't get out of. Yeah, follow their curiosity because curiosity does lead to lead to passion. Absolutely, right? and, and that's important. Well, John Temple, CEO at Guidepost, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. All right, thanks so much, Brent. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.